Hello and welcome to the Atlanta Realtors Rundown. In the continued effort to support and provide value to our members, the Atlanta Realtors Association, aka ARA, has developed a podcast that we hope that you will learn from and enjoy. We have a simple but yet impactful mission statement here at ARA, and that is that we, the members of the Atlanta Realtors Association, elevate the experience of real estate by delivering excellence, inclusion, superior education, and advocacy for our members, consumers, property owners, and the community we serve. And we thank you for joining the ARA Atlanta Realtors Rundown podcast today. And we hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Good morning. We are back with our second episode of the Atlanta Realtors Rundown. And today we have two very special guests that um, I'm going to allow introduce themselves and what we're going to be discussing today. So we'll start with... Good morning, everybody. This is Dennis Santiago. How are you? Doing pretty good. Good stuff, man. All right. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, Dennis. Yeah. Um, so I have been a realtor for all of now three years. And uh, ever since uh, I started becoming part of this dynamic, uh, I've learned about the issues affecting affordable housing and equitable housing. And it's been a, a great passion of mine pretty much since day one to try to seek to, to make this this city a little better for, for all of us. Amazing, which th that is our topic today. Um, but before we get more into that, let's hear from our other guests. Good morning, my name is Shonda Laws and I am the vice chair for the Affordable and Equitable Housing Committee here at the Atlanta Realtors Association. And I'm glad to be amongst this talented crew. And you do quite a few things, too, with the association, Sean. So share a few of those things, because you are absolutely amazing. Well, since I joined the organization, Vic, um, we were in our emerging leaders class together. So I've gone through that and have also chaired the training and development committee this year, as well as uh, last year, I was the sustainability subcommittee chair and I sit on several other committees with the association as well. Well, we thank both of you for your service and the ARA body is uh, forever grateful for all that you contribute um, to the industry and to serving uh, fellow realtors. So with that being said, let's go ahead and hop right in. So today we're gonna to be talking about affordable and equitable housing. So like, where do we even start with that? Like. What does that look like in Metro Atlanta? Well, let's be honest. Right now, there isn't that much affordable housing. And part of that is being driven by the low stock of housing and the rising costs, the rising cost of living. And we know part of that we can attribute to the COVID-19 pandemic. But prior to that, it has been a problem. It continues to be a problem with creating the proper narratives around affordable housing, which also includes workforce housing as well. Um, and it's, it's a continuing problem. 
but this committee has been tasked with helping our realtor members understand how to best move those narratives along in a positive way and work with developers, sellers, and buyers to create more affordable housing opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had something better to add to that, but uh, honestly, in, in this beautiful city that we live in, uh, as great as it is, it is also one of the, uh, the one of the cities with the most disparative in in, in terms of uh, the the wealth gap of of our citizens. So we are trying to make sure that, in layman's terms and in layman's words, that people who work in the community, who, mm-hmm. people who give to the community, have access to live in those communities that they are serving, you know, and and we are trying to become purveyors. We're trying to become local experts in everything that's happening, uh, both from uh, the government side as well as from the companies, the developers and all that, so that we can best, uh, first of all, within the association, serve our fellow realtors and provide Mm -hmm. them with the necessary weapons to go out to their communities and mm-hmm. and take this message but then also ourselves to become to be able to go back to our communities and say hey this is what we can offer this is what we can do this is how we can get you there and and i believe it's a it's a great cause obviously i'm as the chair i believe in it wholeheartedly um but what's, either what's the, driving it like what because we're talking about the cost of living in that sense right is it people's i mean naturally the cost of things do go up. And there are other factors like inflation that impact the cost of materials and things for people to live. But it, are we also talking about people's salaries not being able to keep up with the cost of living? Like what what are some of those things that are that's creating the issue for affordable housing? Absolutely. Um, obviously from the economic standpoint, purely the economic standpoint, you have, and, and this is a hot, uh, news item right now as of October 29th, um, the, you know, the ports not being able to process everything that's out there so that we have enough supplies, right? So th- that lack of supplies is creating uh, a demand, thus increasing prices. Um, and then you have uh, the, the builders not being able to build fast enough with whatever they have. So then they have to pay so their builders. For one second, because that's important, right? Yeah. When we talk about the pandemic, when we talk about supply chain, I don't think people yeah. really understand how that has impacted. Could you dive a little bit deeper into <laughs> that part? Absolutely. So the with the supply chain disruptions that we have had now, um, bottom line, people will bid higher for the same things that they were paying a lot less even two, three years ago, right? So we saw this a few months ago where lumber prices skyrocketed about 400%, right? When you're looking at a 400% increase in lumber prices, you're expecting to pay about $25,000 for the same house year over year, not changing anything else just because of the cost of lumber. Then you add iron because obviously you have a lot of you know metal within the the framework you add even the shingles you know everything in, inside the house which might or might not be stuck in a ship right now somewhere off the coast of California or Jacksonville or Savannah you are paying two three times more year over year just mm-hmm. because builders can get to them fast enough so they are having to pay more for that to get first access to it and then obviously 
you know, and, and this is uh, going again into the socioeconomic standpoint of it, builders that assume those risks, they're not going to eat that cost up. They're going to pass it along, unfortunately, for better or worse, to the end consumer, which is the people who are buying Which the house. is capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Right. Capitalism. And, and it's, you know, again, it's not a negative. That's, that's how yeah. it rolls. That is how it is. And they are they're doing a great service to the communities. Builders are amazing to the communities because we do need more homes. We do need, uh, you know, better homes. We need a lot more inventory than what we have mm -hmm. from the purely new construction, not even talking about resale. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying builders should eat that up. Please don't quote <laughs> me as saying that, but I'm saying ultimately who is going to get that, that hit yeah. is the end consumer, which is the person yeah. buying the house. Yeah. So, so, Help us understand some of the solutions. Is it we get people back to work? Will that help on the supply chain end? Um, because naturally, when I think of the cost of anything, the cost doesn't ever really come down. <laughs> so, <Right>. And it <laughs> is. Part of it is getting people back to work. And part of it is if there are ways to subsidize building of affordable mm -hmm. housing and to offer incentives mm -hmm. and, again, to, to change the narrative around it. Because affordable housing always has had a negative narrative around it. Mm -hmm. And that's why people say, not in my backyard, mm -hmm. you know, the NIMBY. Mm -hmm. I'm all for affordable well, housing. Let's distinguish that because there's affordable housing and there's low-income housing, which people usually try to tie exactly. together. Yes. Right? So help us understand. And affordable housing and low-income housing. So they're really, it's, it's all affordable housing. Okay. And with lower-income housing, they're saying that because they're following HUD's guidelines for your area medium income and what are those guidelines that are established by HUD every year. And that is really directly towards vouchers. Mm -hmm. And so when people hear it, when they hear a voucher, immediately mm -hmm. the narrative is that's low income. Mm -hmm. and I don't want that here. There's, I don't want that here. And the stigma that's attached to it. Mm -hmm. In the metro Atlanta area, one thing that we don't, realize is the majority of teachers are on the voucher program mm. because that's how low their salary is, wow. that they qualify for a voucher program. And in Atlanta proper, most of the teachers can't afford to live in Atlanta mm -hmm. because they don't make enough to live in Atlanta. Yeah. So they're driving, well, pre-COVID, but they're driving sometimes hour and a half, Plus, yeah. just to go teach your child. But we have to change the narrative around that. And, and that's in, what and, we're trying to do. And that's what we're trying to do with um, being a resource for our membership and for realtors who can then pass it on to their clients and customers mm -hmm. so that they can change the narrative. So we're going to help educate our members so that they can educate their sellers, they can educate their investors to say, hey, perhaps you can use this fourplex you're purchasing or this home and think about putting it on the voucher system. And that's for workforce 
as well as lower to moderate income. You know, it's still all affordable, affordable. housing. I've always thought about um, affordable housing as a working relationship with homeowners. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have homeowners who are able, as investors, to put their homes into inventory, right, we could, you know, create a system where the inventory is greater and and, 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 and people are able to um, either even lease to own um, property, um, but also offset some of the rents that are really high because we just, we're in a situation where that's a little bit out of control as well. Um, let me ask you this. Talk, talk to us more about the, the equitable piece, right? Because we got into the affordable. We got into the affordable versus low income. But essentially, these are direct impacts to equity. So help us understand equity and equitable. Help us understand that. So equity versus equality. The terms are often used interchangeably, and equity and equality are quite different. Equality simply means everyone is treated the same way regardless of need or any other individual difference. Equity, on the other hand, means everyone is provided with what they need to succeed. So For us to be able to give to our members, we want them to understand that, yes, we're talking about affordable housing, but we need to give you the tools to arm you so that you can understand the equity part of it. It's Mm -hmm. not just let me place you in this lower-priced home, but there should be an even mixture of those homes in every neighborhood Mm -hmm. in the most affluent neighborhoods you Mm -hmm. always can have a mixture and it doesn't need to be segregated to one area that's not equitable it's not equitable if because i am lower income or i'm on a workforce development i'm part of the workforce income bracket (laughs) that i should live over in the corner on a little patch of land and not being able to take advantage of the other things that my community has. That's not equitable. It's actually not. That's the opposite. Practicing what, right. what is the solution? Because, you know, we live in, a, we live in a, a metro area where the tax base is really disproportionate, right? So how do you, how do you talk to people who of a certain tax base are saying, hey, you know, you know, my tax dollars are paying for X, Y, and Z, but they feel like that's not equitable, right? How I mean, how does how do we how do we change that? Like, what what conversations do we need to be having around and, community? And, and that's the million dollar question, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> yeah. We um, obviously one of the big things that um, that we have already alluded to, and and that's a great point that you're bringing on is. The nimbyism part where people don't want, you know, they don't, million dollar homes don't want a $200,000 home next to them because obviously it's going to drive home values down for those million dollar um, properties. But we need to provide 
this this workforce community mm -hmm. with with access and uh, on, honestly we don't have we don't know what that's going to look like just yet right because we need to whether it's bringing in uh the, you know these tiny house communities whether it, whether that's the answer or the containers you know the shipping containers communities that might work as well you know that, uh, a shipping container home could be built for around eighty thousand mm dollars and they're not really bad to look at they they done well they look great but not only do we need to touch base with the community with the owners themselves but we need to touch base with the lawmakers that are you know granting or denying those permits yeah. that we can maybe set up tracts of land to develop these communities and the great thing about these communities that i just mentioned is that you know in in an acre two acre plot of land you could put six seven houses there that because obviously they don't take too much space allowing those teachers those firemen those policemen to policemen and women to come into uh the communities that they're serving and not have to drive an hour and a half but that cycle of the tax base meaning the 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 owners the homeowners and the politicians the lawmakers that is the part that we still need to decide policy how to change. get into how do we affect policy change and we mm -hmm. already have thankfully a lot of realtors realtor members mm -hmm. uh vying for spots mm -hmm. in in councils mm -hmm. vying for spots in in the so state level that's that's a good point. so that's a great start to what we're trying to do so tell tell this body how they like people here RPAC and things like that they may or may not know why it's important but for the sake of this conversation today why is that important when we talk about policy but one thing before that Vic I just wanted to say those owners of those million dollar houses they don't realize when you don't want workforce and affordable housing in your community those firefighters if your house catches on fire those firefighters who may need to respond may if they need additional response an extra five minutes make a lot of difference maybe an hour away to show up mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if you think about it that puts your own house in jeopardy mm -hmm. i would feel much better knowing that i have the teachers in my when i grew up teachers <laughs> were in my community mm -hmm. my <laughs> teacher lived across the street from me i rode into school with her every day so mm -hmm. like it's it's different and yeah. and that makes a true community seeing seeing firefighters and police officers and your nurses and your doctors and your teachers in your community mm. makes for more of a community and we can care about each other more which would say i'm not looking at them because of the income that they're making those are my neighbors they may live a block over but mm -hmm. those are my neighbors yeah. and as That's far a great as point us, you make. as far as us as a body of members we we do need our RPAC contributions because when we're talking about affecting change, mm -hmm. policy is change. We have to be able to affect the policy, mm -hmm. and that's how RPAC comes into play for our members because that's part of the reason why the realtors get into politics yeah. is because of things like affordable and equitable housing. But we can make the difference through talking with our constituents 
to affect change through okay. policy. Policy and creates change. For, for those who don't know, tell us what RPEC stands for. The Realtors Political Action Committee. And <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I was, for those of, of you guys who are catching this on, on audio only, I was just looking at Shonda to see who was going to take charge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the Political Action Committee, the Realtors Political Action Committee is the arm of, of that realtors have to precisely absolutely okay. to uh, f to get to the ear of of those policymakers that we need to get to the ear of and we have done many great things throughout the years and uh, us as as Atlanta realtors here know the power that RPAC has uh for those of, of of you guys who might be listening in who don't know um RPAC over the years has helped a lot of realtors um extend their their policy and 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 have an ear to those people who who need you know to need to make change for us and for homeowners because it's not only for realtors it's for those homeowners we are looking out for the best uh for for the rights of of home ownership and for homeowners so that's what we do as as part of the rpac okay so um, that's good. That's good information for all of us to know. T so, like, tell us, like, why is this even important? Like, why is affordable and equitable housing important? <laughs> so, what what we saw is that affordability and equitability in housing are just, you know, both sides of the same coin. When you're talking about affordable housing, the more people, especially like we've talked about, workforce. Uh, community partners that live in the communities that they serve the more the, the more pride that community will have in in itself and the better it'll be the safer it'll become and that leads into the equitable side because right now what we've seen is that those communities that are deemed affordable or lower income might be food deserts might be not as safe because mm -hmm. of the myriad of factors that affect them because they're further away from a hospital because they're further away from a school because they're farther away from a good supermarket now we know there's a million studies out there that show that children who grow up in a house in a permanent home that they are they're not moving around do better at school you know are healthier generally are do better at, at tests so it all comes back to the pride in your community, the pride in your neighborhood, so that you, you know, the future generations can do a little bit better. It creates, that's your biggest tool to create generational wealth. Mm -hmm. That is the number one tool that you have is passing on real estate, land and real estate in which you own, and you can pass that on to future generations. And they can take pride on it. And, and we hear stories often of how many people go back and say, this land was owned <laughs> by my great-grandparents, and this soil means something. Yeah. And I have special memories of being in this house. And it's passing down to each generation. And that creates that simple act of owning that house creates the, the foundation for generational wealth mm -hmm. in the form of real estate. Form of real estate. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Mm -hmm. um, ownership. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Ownership. At the ownership. End of the day. It's the yeah. American dream. Yeah, if Absolutely. you look at just the history of the last 50, 60 years uh, since, let's call it just Vietnam, right? The soldiers returning from Vietnam, white soldiers, and, and I'm getting into race right now because it's part of the equitability side. Uh, white soldiers returning from Vietnam were granted VA loans to go find a house, to go buy a house. Mm-hmm. Whereas black and Hispanic and any other color soldier that, were, that weren't white weren't afforded those same rights. They fought literally the same war. They fought side by side, yet they came back. They couldn't buy a house because they didn't have the programs available to them. Now, we've seen over the last 50, 60 years the incredible explosion in, in equity and wealth that just owning a house develops for you. All we're trying to do is get more people into that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a disparity with people who are miseducated on the ownership piece? And then there's a gap Absolutely. with even getting them Absolutely. into the house, right? So there's there's the education piece and then there's the actual affordable piece. Yes. Absolutely. Right? Talk to us about that part. Where how do we educate people? <laughs> So that's that's what our committee, yeah, that's yes, what our committee is trying to do. We are trying to, we're trying to develop the tools, mm-hmm. and and the tools right now might just mean knowing what developers are out there building affordable housing, knowing what the what politicians are vying for affordable housing. That that might be just square one, but we're looking at developing tools, meaning certifications for our fellow realtors so that they can better understand workforce housing and how those dynamics of education and ownership go hand in hand Mm -hmm. so that they can then go back to their communities and explain that better. Okay. Because we're looking at, we're looking at at ourselves from an association perspective and our job Mm -hmm. is to educate our fellow realtors. Then obviously we as fellow realtors need to turn around and go back to our communities. Mm -hmm. But we're looking at all the avenues to bring in as many tools to our realtors so that they can understand workforce housing and how it affects the communities. And when I say affect, this means both good and bad, right? What what it entails. Mm -hmm. And that way that they can, through our education and outreach to our realtor members, we that they will get a better understanding so that they it'll be a trickle-down effect. Mm-hmm. They can go back and talk to their sellers and say, hey, this, pro- this person who's made an offer is part of a down payment assistance program. That does not mean that they're an unsafe client because they don't feel like they're going to qualify for a mortgage. They're mm-hmm. going to qualify, and they're going to get down payment assistance doesn't make them any less of a buyer. And the process may have to go out maybe an additional 30 days for a closing mm-hmm. because of certain rules and regulations around some of the programs, mm-hmm. which, and, but hey, look <laughs> at this person. We have to humanize. Yes. Yeah. We have to humanize and change the negative narrative around affordable and workforce development housing and create the equitable piece that ties it all together Mm -hmm. and puts it in that beautiful box 
as a gift. Yeah. We as realtors have to change the narrative. And so, actually, fun fact, now that you mention down payment assistance program and all that, people who go and, and qualify for down payment assistance programs, they need a set of education yes. requirements. Yes. And those people who come into and make an offer with the down payment assistance programs are about 80% more likely to keep the house on an economic downturn because those down payment assistance programs explain personal finances, yes. not just check the box to get this money. And so looking at people who have, you know, used down payment assistance programs to buy mm -hmm. their house versus people who've just bought it outright via, let's say a conventional loan, those people, meaning the, the recipients of down payment assistance mm -hmm. programs are more likely mm -hmm. to stay in the house and yes. to keep it afloat and to keep it in the green yeah. when economic downturns They come. have gone through credit counseling. Yes. They have gone through mm -hmm. classes on how to create a budget and actually manage your finances and prepare for the rainy day. If something happens, you have some cash put away. They have gone through credit classes. They've gone through their initial eight-hour class just to be able to say that I am, I've done my initial class just to be in this program to understand what it is. And that certificate that they get is valid for a year. Mm -hmm. And that allows them to then meet with lenders who are particularly versed in that in the particular down payment programs for the area that they're looking in. They yeah. know the parameters, and they are going out and helping these people and underwriting these mortgage loans. And those people are getting in houses. And again, I agree with Dennis wholeheartedly. They are much more educated than a normal <laughs> your buyer who's just looked online. They've had to go through extensive training, and they in some programs they have sweat equity in it. Yeah, that let, makes for a more robust homeowner. Let, let, let's let's take this a little bit deeper, right? Because what we're ultimately talking about, what we're dancing, what we're dancing around is discriminatory practices, right? This is a real thing. When you Very have real. people who are trying to get into homes and they're financed a certain way or the perception around down payment assistance, I've seen a whole lot out there, right? Advertised, probably shouldn't be advertised. But also, what, what are the conversations we should be ha having with clients and sellers around, ultimately, this is a fair housing issue, right? It is. So what... What conversations should we be having with clients around this particular issue, right? Not a, a, the funding of a house is the funding of a house. Period. Right? Period. At right? the closing, you're going to walk away with your money. With your money. Exactly. Right? Doesn't matter what kind of loan you have. <laughs> right. 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 But I've personally been seeing, I'm not going to take this type of financing. We're not going to take this type of financing, right? Or it's a conversation that, you have to put pause to, to let people know that's malpractice, right? Yeah. I've heard more than once that the seller needs to have or the buyer needs to have, you know, 80% financing on the loan to, for them to for them to consider the offer, which, first of all, what the hell do they care? Because uh, like Shonda said, 
uh, at the during closing, they're gonna get 100% of the of their money, regardless of where that 20% came, or or that 5% or that three and a half percent came. And where does that come from? Is this a conversation we need to have with lender partners? And then, and are we ultimately saying that this is a form of redlining that we we are not talking about that we probably should be talking about? I mean, we definitely do need to bring this conversation more. Um, unfortunately, just the fact that we may have that conversation, depending on how we have that conversation, can in and of itself be, you know, going into fair housing. It could worsen the situation, right? So more often than not, just like you said, when a situation like this comes comes up, it's better to involve the lender, have them explain better, better than we could ever could why that FHA down payment assistant recipient is just as qualified or even better maybe than that 80% conventional right and this but and in all honesty be. do you think that will do you think that you know because this is for full transparency for our body right okay so so talk to us about the conversations we need to be having with lenders i think we need to have some back to the basics conversations with our lenders and market market briefs and updates from them but basically going back to the programs and saying this what this program is and remember with the market as it is at the moment we're seeing a lot of things we should not see that agents are saying are requirements from their sellers we need to remember that that's borderline some is discriminatory <laughs> and others are borderline and i get it you want to sell your house but you especially being a realtor. We have a code of ethics that we abide by, must abide by, and we have to remember to, in the parameters in which we operate and to always stay ethical mm -hmm. and <clears throat> do what's best for our client, but also notify our client when something isn't ethical and it's borderline discrimination. But I do think back to basics with um, talking with lenders, having, you know, having those good conversations, bringing it into our teams, and understanding that these are things that may happen. And is, when, it, when they talk about down payment assistance programs, the other thing that people don't always realize is you can get a, you can be having, you can qualify for a conventional loan and still have down payment assistance. It's not unheard of. Mm -hmm. But in the end, the seller's gonna get their full amount of money regardless of what type of loan you have. So we as realtors need to again, remember that. And when we are meeting with our potential sellers, don't put that in their head. Don't let them think we don't wanna take anybody who has a FHA loan or who has a VA loan. If anything, you need to take a VA loan. That person served our country. Mm -hmm. And it is up to us to educate our clients. So part of our mandate for this committee 
is for us to educate our membership body so that we can go out and better educate our clients. Absolutely. And, and just adding on to that, the amount of money that you can receive for a down payment assistance program, I mean, it can be substantial. We can be talking about tens of thousands of dollars. When you are buying a house, you want to build equity as fast as you can. And if you can get, call it ten, twenty-five, forty thousand dollars, just you know, for literally free money, just for the fact that you're gonna stay in that house for ten years. Listen, take it. Like you are literally paying off five, ten, twenty percent of your of the equity, mm-hmm. just just for staying there. Yeah. Just because you accepted that down payment. Just because you stood in a class for eight hours. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why the hell not? That's incremental. That is exponentially taking you to that promised land that we spoke about, about generational wealth. That is, yeah. that is literally what we're trying to achieve here. Mm-hmm. So, we you know, we talked a lot about how we got to where we are with affordable housing and equitable housing. One of the things that I've always been curious about is what are some of the social economical impacts? And we touched on it a little bit, but in my mind, I'm thinking if people can't afford housing, does that increase homelessness? Like It does. Right. So, so talk to us a little bit about those impacts. So one of the things that we need to address before we dive deep into that question is that there are different types of homelessness, homelessnesses. Uh, Homelessness does not necessarily mean you're living under a bridge. Homelessness doesn't necessarily mean you're spending your night at at the Walmart parking lot. Homelessness means also that you are living in an extended stay hotel because there's nothing else for you. Homelessness means that you're jumping from your aunt to your uncle to your cousin to your grandmother because Mm -hmm. of whatever factor. There are different types of homelessness uh, that are out there. So I just want to put this as a note before we dive deeper. Mm -hmm. But what we can say is that whatever the type of homelessness, the impact is the same, both for the individual as, you know, the stressors of just daily life for the children, like we mentioned earlier, the impact is the same, but there are different types. So it's not Mm -hmm. only about the people that we see when we're driving around. That's obviously something we aim to address eventually as well, but there, it's, it, it's, it doesn't just look like that. It creates instability for the children in the, in the family. It creates an enormous amount of stress for the parents. It creates stress for other family members and friends who maybe really want to help them out, but it, it, it affects health. We know that stress affects health. We know that um, it creates instability as where the person's next meal may come from Mm -hmm. because now they could be going out and eating fast food because they no longer have a kitchen to prepare a meal in. And that has a trickle-down effect. It has an effect on the person who can be working because Mm -hmm. not all homelessness means that the people aren't working. There are plenty of people actually working who are homeless. And on the economic side, on the, for, the, for the city itself, 
when you have a lot of people that don't own a home, you're decreasing the tax base, right? So you want, it behooves, it benefits any city, any city to have plenty housing. I don't think people will understand that concept. Yeah. Right. Right. The more homeowners we have, the bigger the tax the, the bigger base. The bigger the tax base. Right? Which of course means that we can attract retail businesses. We can mm-hmm. attract those supermarkets to the area. People always say they want this supermarket or that supermarket. Well, if you don't have the amount of home ownership, you're not going to get either. When they do their marketing um, research for where they're going to put a new market, they don't see that the tax base there is enough. Yeah. Hence, you don't get that. So we need to really understand the economics of it as well as the trickle-down effect and the health disparities Mm -hmm. and children not being able to concentrate in school because children worry just like adults worry, and they worry about their parents. So it creates a continuous, vicious cycle that promotes violence down the line because if a child constantly sees their parents are struggling, they may then take on the role of how do I help my parents? Yeah. They shouldn't have to worry about that. How do I that. get them out of here as quickly yeah. as right. possible? Yeah. They shouldn't have to worry about that. All they should have to worry about is being a child. Absolutely. So it's an economic cycle that we can, it's a vicious economic cycle that by understanding true affordable and equitable housing, we can help change. Do you and see, again, we go back to policy. Go back to policy. <laughs> Do you see Metro Atlanta becoming the gap widening between people who have wealth and have ownership versus people who don't? And what recourse do we have if that's the case? I mean, unfortunately, we do. We have seen the just with the increase of home home prices over the last 18, 24 months, we have seen a growing disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And um, it, it is, I don't know if it's going to get worse. I don't know if it's going to get better. Um, I Obviously, I hope it, get, it gets better, but it, it's there. And it's been, you know, you just need to look at how the prices have gone up exponentially over the last 24 months. And not only that, that also affects the rental market, which is something that, that we need as well, right? So on, we've seen, what is it, about 15% growth year over year for, for uh, sold homes, mm-hmm. but the rental market has increased about 35%. Mm-hmm. So right now, you're, you're almost better off buying outright than trying to rent, rent. just because the, the rates are just through the roof. And the, on the flip side, the those homes that are for rent are usually in, in, in a less in a less good condition than the homes that are for sale, because obviously when you're selling you want to get as much money as possible. So that means you're going to put it nicely, right? So what we're seeing is that exponential growth, and we're still seeing those people left behind. And that's why going back to policy, we need people that truly understand that to get into policymaking. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need realtors to become policymakers. That's why we need 
those of us those of us who know and who truly understand what's going on to go in and affect change from the inside because we can we can cry wolf all we want from the outside but mm -hmm. if we don't have the help the assistance if we don't have the the you know the true push from those policymakers and from those lawmakers there's yeah. all, very little that we can actually do and i just i charge all realtors all of our membership to say hey let me go out there and really understand this you we can put the information out and we can package it up and offer it to you in different formats but we all need to remember that we are here to help advance home ownership yeah. period that's what that's what we're charged <laughs> you to mean do. to tell me not and not to make a commission not yeah. you know, <laughs> no. we, make, we make a little right. commission off of it as well but you know what i and and not that i would always have to sell luxury property and at a higher price point but if i can put a hundred people in yes. a price point that they can afford that that's their stepping stool onto the next house, then think of that. Just magnify that. If each one of us could even just do 10, think of, think of the change that we could yeah, make. That's absolutely right. That's you know, what I charge everyone. Everybody, every one of us. 10 properties a year. That's right. Every one of us, and, and you know, let's just be honest here. Every one of us wants to make that million dollar commission. Every one of us wants to sell that, that luxury property walk away with that big fat check and, you know, <laughs> buy themselves something nice. But for every one of those million dollar commissions, there are 10, 15, 20, $200,000 commissions mm -hmm. that we can put in a house. Yes. That those 10, 20 in five, 10 years are going to turn into five, $600,000 commissions that are then in another 15, 10 years, 10, 15 years are going to turn into possibly a million dollar commission. Mm -hmm. So it's exponential and it benefits, obviously, not only the ones that are buying the house, not only our client, it benefits us. Mm -hmm. If we grow the base from the bottom mm -hmm. and not just continue helping the top, and this is going to be, <laughs> you know, this is going to be beating a dead horse, that top 1%, if we can grow our base from the bottom, it's going to help everybody. It's going to help our commissions, definitely. It's going to help them grow. It's going to help the tax base. It's going to help the cities. It's just a, a trickle-up effect mm -hmm. that is that there is no downside to helping more people go into a house of their own. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking to our buyers who have children, let them sit in on the conversations when we go to show houses. Mm -hmm. Let them see that because that child is thinking of that. And they're like, I can live in this house and one day I'm going to own a house. Heck, we might even make realtors out of them. Those are our future <laughs> realtors. That's right. This has been a great conversation. We have, I have one more question before we wrap up. So talk to us about the new affordable housing, affordable, house, affordable and equitable housing committee, committee. How can people become engaged and do you have some sort of goal as this has been formed? Um, high level, we know that it's still new, but for those people who are passionate about this, where can they, where can they come? Absolutely. Um, obviously, atlantarealtors.com slash committees, I believe it is. 
Um, don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, you know, seek to, when you are in new agent training, seek for those committees. And even if you don't participate directly into the Affordable Housing Committee, there are many other committees that do great things for the community. So um, obviously uh, pick whatever one resonates more with, with your with your passion. But coming back to our committee, the Affordable Housing Committee, we have a small yet incredibly engaged group of people, which I am so thankful for, including uh, literally and figuratively my right-hand woman, Shonda, today, um, which I, I love <laughs> to death. And, you know, any anybody who has a passion to help, you know, homeowners or, or potential homeowners become homeowners are more than welcome to, uh, to join us. This year, as we started uh, as, a, as an exploratory task force, we have been mostly looking at who we can bring in to teach us what they're doing that has worked. We've worked with, we've, we've had conversations with lenders. We've had conversations with, with other realtor boards. We've had conversations with various politicians about what has happened and what they're doing to increase affordable housing. And that, I mean, needless to say, is a passion of mine, but if anybody else who hears this, um, wants to get involved, obviously shoot me, shoot Shonda an email, a text, uh, reach out. Obviously we as realtors, our information is public everywhere. So <laughs> don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love for anybody else to join us and make this bigger and better. Well, we meet, we will be meeting going forward um, the first Monday of every month from 2 to 3.30. And uh, we would invite anybody to attend our meetings, reach out to us, let us know, and we will get you an, an invitation for our Zoom meetings until we go back and live again. Yes. But the committee um, started off as a task force, and it is part of our current president for 2021, Cynthia Lippert, who this is one of her policies and one of her charges, and it's something very near and dear to her heart. And as one of her mandates for 2021 and going forward was to create this task force because so many members reached out about it and we saw a need. And that's how this committee has been formed. And we really want to educate our members on the down payment yeah. assistance programs and, you know, form alliances with experts and other organizations for the resources, but we are here to be a resource to our members, to educate them, to go out and be able to educate their clients. Yeah, and adding to that, which I believe is is, is great, um, it would be great to continue getting the involvement of not only our realtor members, because yeah, we need them, absolutely as a committee, we need them, that's that's our, 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 our blood and our lifeline, but we also need our and this is speaking as a as a member of the Realtors Association, our community partners, we need involvement from lenders, from closing attorneys, from you name it, everybody within the this ecosystem of real estate, we need involvement from not just to come to our um, to our meetings, but also to help out. Uh, one of the things that I've that I uh, saw recently, I met with a lender and I'm in respect, you know, in respecting our community partners, I'm not going to name names, but this mortgage company donates about 45% of their 
net income to help build schools and to help build communities, especially located in those low-income, affordable neighborhoods so that they can have a good, solid school to go to. And then the parents of those children can have a good house to come home to so that they don't need to worry about their kids. And the kids don't need to worry about them. And that that is the type of involvement and that's the type of, of business that we need to see, that it obviously benefits them as a company mm -hmm. to get more money, but it benefits the communities that they are serving. And that's, I've, I found that absolutely beautiful. And that is what we want to see in, in an ideal world moving forward. Amazing, amazing. Well, I wanna thank both of you for your time and your busy, 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 busy schedules. This has been a great conversation. Uh, and before we wrap it up, I do want to give a special thank you to all of our 2021 Diamond Level sponsors, uh, Atlanta Peach Movers, Campbell and Brandon Closing Attorneys, Capitalist Real Estate Learning Center, FMLS, uh, GNG Hub, uh, Georgia Natural Gas, the Hudson Law Firm, Southeast Mortgage. These all have been great partners for us. We want to acknowledge that and um, we appreciate everything you're doing to help bring us opportunities like this podcast and with our guests. And so with that said, it's an ARA wrap and we'll see you for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting us. Of course, anytime. It's a wrap. Thank you for joining ARA and this episode of the Atlanta Realtors Rundown. We trust you have enjoyed and found this content helpful, meaningful, impactful, and gleaned a nugget or two that you can apply to your daily life and real estate business. Check back here at the Atlanta Realtor Rundown podcast channel for our future episodes and be on the lookout for more information on topics like unique ways to gain market share and more listings, revenue opportunities to move your business forward for years to come, and all things Atlanta real estate that we're here at ARA with the rundown in the future. If there are any topics that you would like to see featured in future podcast episodes, please go to our website at atlantarealtors.com and place your suggestion in the feedback section. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining us today. We hope you have, ha have a great day, a great week ahead. And until next time, this is Beth Pound with the Atlanta Realtors Association.